The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are two weeks away from the trade deadline, and some players are already being moved around. It's two weeks away? Oh, my goodness. I might have to take that Monday off, and it's possible that we might end up doing a supplemental show that evening. Now, wait a minute. If I'm not mistaken, you work remote. Why do you have to take it off? Um, so that I can live tweet all of the nonsense, uh, in full, t- in real time without having to, you know, interrupt it with nasty things like work in the middle. I will say that, I will say that I was, uh, not that I was incorrect, but just, uh, I was surprised at, at, at the first move that we're going to talk about. I was um, actually surprised at the two moves that we're going to talk about, but um, or the ones that have already happened. But we also have the uh, we also have that Twitter poll we mentioned last week. Yeah. Um, we have a thing that happened for the first time in most of a century. Nineteen forty-one, folks. Nineteen forty-one. Thing that happened on on the way to the arena, or after the arena, or, or at the arena. Sorry. <laughs> um and. A certain least favorite uh, person in the league, in their category, is no longer in the league. Um, and then there's the curious, curious way the uh, playoffs will be structured. Um, where do we want to start? Well, uh, well, it's either the big news of the day with... Uh, the termination of, of said uh, person, or we can start with the deals of the week. <laughs> let's okay. Start, uh, let's start, start with the with, termination because. Yeah, we just need to get this out of the way. I, I don't think we're going to spend, you know, 30 minutes on it or anything, but um, most of you have probably noticed or heard that uh, Tim Peel, for basically for being Tim Peel, uh, was fired uh, this week after he was caught on a live mic saying, yeah, I know it's sort of soft, but uh, I want to call a penalty on Nashville anyways. Uh, he, he did he did use some some colorful language when he said it, which is not the reason he got terminated. I mean, <laughs> if they were going to fire people for t- colorful language, there would not be an NHL left. You would be recruiting strictly from like Mormons and Quakers. Now I do I do have a question before we get started. <clears throat> Go. I have to I have to ask: Are the officials not aware that they're wearing these microphones? Given the um, quality, given the quality of actual officiating, I'm not sure that some of them are. I just I I I, I my understanding is that. You know they are under. They know they're wearing them. They have to turn them on. You watch the guy skates over to center ice. He reaches to his waist, kind of like in the NFL, and then he makes the announcement. You know, penalty on number eighty-eight. Two minutes for skating fast or whatever. Um, I think I don't know if this was his own microphone or one of the arena like sound effects microphones, but um, it really doesn't matter. 
and the other the other issue that I have is if you read some of the other comments from former former players and whatnot, they know this happens. I mean, he was Everyone terminated. Knows this happens. He was terminated because basically it was a makeup call. But the fact of the matter is that he announced that he was doing it. You know, oh, I know it's soft, but I want to give them a power play. He he's announcing that he's giving them a makeup call. The players already know that that happens. The coaches know that it happens because most uh, most of them are former players at some level. It, it's yep. it, you know, officials as much as we dislike them and as much as we get on their case, they're human. It happens. They miss something. They make a call and then realize afterwards. I mean, that's why they got, uh, you know, 14 million challenges now and you can look at everything and this and that. But you can't tell people you're doing it. You can't. What I I like about the situation is that the NHL – and I think they were sort of guided by the fact that that Tim Peel, I guess, was – going considering retirement or I had read somewhere he was either his contract was out, whatever it was. And yes, yeah. they have contracts as well, but he, I, I guess that that sort of guided them toward termination as opposed to fine or suspension. But I like the fact that they went straight to termination. It sets a precedent. It's not, hopefully it's not going to happen again anytime soon. Although I read somewhere that another player was, uh, actually covering his mic because he didn't oh. want it to accidentally pick up what he was saying. <laughs> oh, they, 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 uh, they, this happens on a fairly regular basis where the officials get caught on a live mic, but this was legitimately one of the dumbest things I have seen an NHL official do in my entire life. In fact, it probably counts as the dumbest. I mean, at the high end, you have, uh, who was it, Richard Zednick, who got his throat slashed by a skate, like, God, has to be over 20 years ago. Um, and mm-hmm. the official was effectively the person to save him. He got, you know, the, he got the vein clamped, got him up, got the guy off the ice into the medical staff's hands almost immediately. Um, and no one realized exactly how bad it was. And then there's Tim Peel being Tim Peel. I, 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 you put up Larry Brooks' story here, and we talk, we use Larry Brooks' stories periodically. Um, because he's because entertaining, even if you disagree with him. The, NA, the way he, the NHL, which acted shocked, shocked, we'll say, acted. That's, that that such a thing would exist in its universe, though the league, both before and throughout Walcom's tenure at the top of the officiating food chain, has countenanced its officials managing games for decades. Shocked, we'll say. Shocked. I mean, so, quite frankly, most of the officials uh, in the NHL could easily transition to the WWE, and it would be seamless. I mean... <laughs> Seamless transition. It's all about keeping it close in the NHL. That's the purpose of the loser's point. You know, and, you know, they wouldn't even have to carry a whistle anymore, but they would have to be able to get up and down off the mat fairly quickly. Yes. Yeah. That is the purpose of even up arbitrary calls and just as importantly, non-calls 
that dot the landscape on a nightly basis. Then, of course, come the playoffs, where officials willfully ignore the rule book and permit mayhem after almost every whistle under the guise of allowing the boys to play. I'm doing air quotes. Of course, this skews the tournament results in favor of Braun every time. One way, one way for Does 82 it? games. Does it? And another way for games that count the most. Does it I, really? I mean, this is Brooksy being Brooksy, but let's yes. take a look at the Chicago. This is, this is definitely Brooksy being Brooksy. I have to agree. Let's take a look at <laughs> Chicago versus um, Philadelphia a couple of years ago. Philadelphia was absolutely terrifying physically, and Chicago just eviscerated them, you know, four of those nights. Mm-hmm. Um, a team that went looking for Phil Kessel uh, while they were adding physicality, probably not the most brutal juggernauts ever seen. And yet Pittsburgh has won two recent championships. Um, I mean, in the pure Bruins versus uh, Vancouver Canucks series, sure. The Bruins were more physical. Absolutely. But That's what they're known what? for. But guess what? They also faced top 10 offenses the entire time mm-hmm. and managed to beat them because they they scored more. They flat out scored more. And they played that whole uh, seventh game against uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning without having a penalty called. And very few and very, very few missed calls or if he calls uh, that weren't. Um, very few iffy calls that could have been made. So it's not like the Bruins were pure goons. Um, and they played who Carolina earlier in that series, earlier in that uh, playoff run, Philadelphia earlier in the play in that playoff run. And Philadelphia was certainly at least as physical, but they got mowed down anyways. Yes. Um, can you can anyone really say that the Tampa Bay Lightning were the most physical team in the playoffs last year? Eh. They weren't they certainly weren't the softest team in the playoffs. But no. I, I mean, you're, you're Brooksy, yeah, calm down. I, you know, the notion that the NHL reacted so quickly in order to assuage its corporate gambling partners might make some sense if the league's injury policy was not so opaque and it prodded coaches to name starting goaltenders more than a half hour in advance of game time. Yeah. See, again, I think Brooksy is talking He's, out his uh, Brooksy is Brooksy is. Well, he t- he took the he took the Tim Peel issue and. Decided he used to it ex- to run his whole campaign, his whole political campaign. <laughs> his yeah. whole campaign, yes. <laughs> yeah, imagine if what he's really reacted. doing is applying for NHL commissioner once Gary Bettman steps down. Imagine if the league reacted to email leaks from its executives regarding concussions and quote little fake artists the way it did to a hot mic. <laughs> and there are some players that. Yes, they over-exaggerate and every single call. But there's a way to de- they they have a built-in way to stop or or limit Minimize. that. It's called yeah. 
it's called the embellishment penalty. But oh wait, they never call it. No, and that's literally even over the makeup calls and the missed calls. That's probably my biggest gripe with NHL officiating. You know that there are players in the league who embellish every time a stick comes anywhere near them. Just do something useful with it. You've got the rule book there. The problem is they get too comfortable with players like, like Patrice, who the other day got whacked in the face in the corner. And started bleeding. And was bleeding. Patrice didn't go right to the ref and say, look, I'm bleeding. The ref actually chased him down. Uh, and that was – are you talking about the first time he got hit or the second time he got hit? Uh, I don't know, but they twice actually – twice in that same actually, period. Oh, was it in the same period? I saw the – I'm guessing the first one then. They called the four-minute minor. Um, that was the second one. Oh, that was the second one. I didn't see the first yeah, oh, one. Oh, yeah. Okay. The first one he got hit, he ended up on the bench uh, leaking, and like six, seven minutes later um, in the in the period, he gets whacked again. But he's not one that he doesn't dive. He doesn't go to the refs and start complaining. I mean, as captain, it's his job to approach referees now to discuss things. But this is a guy who doesn't complain. And unfortunately, they err on the side of the Patrice Bergerons instead of erring on the side of, I don't know, pick a diver. Yeah. Lots of others. Because it, it, it gets a little out of control when they're. I, I'm all for or what or my favorite one is when you get a, a whack on the stick and the player just drops it like oh slash and I think they're a little if the stick's okay. not broken if there's not an injury to the hand it shouldn't be a slashing call uh, I will go to my grave on that one yeah okay so Tim Peel thank you for your services uh, unfortunately but, you brought it upon yourself next <laughs> and you know what if he wasn't if it wasn't Tim Peel. He probably they probably would have gotten a smaller punishment, but literally every NHL fan who watches more than 20 games a season knows who Tim Peel is and knows when he's on the ice, the officiating is going to be hot garbage. They had. Yeah, there was no way they could actually argue keeping him around, to be quite honest. It, it, It just utterly ridiculous. Um. And from the ridiculous to the wonderful, yes. uh, a cup has been raised. Yes, a cup has been raised, and it and a cup has been raised yet in in. I know they used to call it Title Town or Championship City or whatever they used to call us, but we haven't had one recently. Uh, but last, do. but last night, the NWHL celebrated. The Isobel Cup, the women's championship, women's equivalent of the Stanley Cup, whatever you want to call it, it's it's a huge deal, and I can't wait for them to, to grow this league. But they played the Boston Pride, played the Minnesota Whitecaps in what should have been the final last season before the pause. And so it, even though they played a full round of, of games again for this season they ended up with the same two teams and wow what an entertaining game first of all i mean 
Minnesota come out strong. They scored the first goal of the game. Boston scores the next three unanswered. Minnesota with 19 with uh, I forget how far it was of seven minutes left in the period. They go on power play. They score it. Make it make it three to two. Boston scores. Make getting their two goal lead back, and then with 19 seconds left, there's another. I mean. This was a game that you weren't sure right up until the very end whether it was going to overtime or not. And these and girls play hard. These women, excuse me, play hard. There was one particular hit in this game where they were questioning whether it was a major or not. And it ended up being a major because the young lady who committed the who committed the penalty, the force that she hit the opposing player with and the closeness to the boards it, it, you couldn't call it any other way i mean and they hit and and crisp passing hard shooting it, it was just very enjoyable to watch i got to catch most of the second period and the third i happened to be out running errands and i missed the first period but yeah, I sat down, knew it was on, immediately turned it on, and didn't change the channel. And you know what the best part of this is? It was on a major television network. It was on NBC Sports Network, the network that carries currently the NHL. That's a big deal. And I think all of the women on the roster, all of their coaches, um, they just – they just need to soak this in and you know, they're probably not going to get the same level of celebration that uh, the men's teams would, but that's okay. You won, you won under adverse conditions. Love it. Enjoy it. They played at warrior. No, I was just going to say they played at warrior warrior arena where the Boston Bruins uh, have their have their practices and and their development camp had that place been full and and we've been there it's not like there's thousands of seats no but had that but- place been full of stands it would have been rocking i mean this was a game that excitement carried throughout the the, the women at the end skating around handing off the cup Trying to figure out, all right, who's skating it? Who's skating it next? It, it, it was just, it was, it really was electrifying, like watching the Stanley Cup. It was that good, and the competition was that strong. And and you felt for Minnesota because they fought all the way back. I mean, it didn't. It, they they were actually the home team for this game. They had the higher seed. They were technically the home team, so they're playing a home game in the away team's barn. <laughs> mm-hmm. That doesn't happen too often. This game was supposed to be played originally in Lake Placid, but with things that are going on, that's where the regular season was held. Basically, it was a, from my understanding, it was a round robin type of situation. So for yep. seeding for the playoffs, it was supposed to be and played I did in Lake get Placid. To see uh, probably half a dozen of those games, and. It, they were just fun, period. Oh. And oh, by the way, 
they call the too many men on the ice penalty or too many women on the ice penalty on Minnesota. So they were paying attention to line changes. Uh, unlike the uh, international game we saw here in Boston a few years back. I think because it was it was a friendly. Oh, no, wait a minute. It was against Canada. It wasn't friendly. <laughs> it wasn't. No, it, that was that was not friendly. <laughs> <laughs> but they were. A and little it was bit, awesome. But they were a little bit. They were a little bit um, flexible with the line changes. As long as you were like in the arena, it was acceptable. Um, I do want to say congratulations, obviously, to the Boston Whitecaps. I want to say thank you to. I mean, to the Boston Pride. I want to say. Thank you to the Minnesota Whitecaps for giving us the competition and 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 making it that much harder to to win. I also want to say congratulations to the MVP. And they don't have names for cups yet, so they don't. It's not it, it's not like they call it the Con Smythe or or yeah. whatever you would give. So give it ten years. The MVP the MVP of the playoffs was Jillian Dempsey, captain of the. Boston Pride. She is also the first woman in NWHL history to reach the 100-point plateau. So, double congratulations to her, and I look forward to much growth and many more games from this league. It was just that enjoyable. And they've only been around six years. I... it, that was one of the things that AJ Malesko and and oh by the way Chris Chelios' daughter Kaylee Chelios was there um, doing the the ice level reporting and they were all talking nice. about how long it takes to grow the sport and how the women's NBA has been around for 25 years and so basically they're saying has that has it the, really been that long? Yes. So the NWHL in six years is still in its infancy. Oh, oh, absolutely. But the level of competition is anything but childish. <laughs> and and with the growth of, of and with the growth of of women's hockey at the college level, they're going they're, to be able to they're going to be able to field more teams. They're go, there's going to be a deep enough talent pool that they should be able to field more teams over the oh, next. Oh, and. And as we mentioned, I believe it was last week, they're already adding another team this year or next year, having added a team this this past season. Uh, this league could be 20. This league could be 20 teams in the next 12, 15 years. It, it really wouldn't surprise me. And I think anyone who is surprised. Um, well, it's because you're not paying attention. And you should be. To be quite honest, you should be because the level of talent is off the charts. It's entertaining as all get out. And as I mentioned, college hockey. So it, can I lump this on now or do you want to Go wait? Go for it. Uh, in college hockey, they have the Hobie Baker Award for men's ice hockey. Mm-hmm. In women's ice hockey, they have the Patty Kazmaier Award, best, college, best player in college hockey. This year, awarded to... A goaltender from Northeastern University, and well, her name is Erin Frankel, and to say that she was dominant might actually be an understatement, and it's not usually. Uh, this young lady this season 
had a 22-2-1 record. Uh, by the way, her goals against average in uh, in Hockey East uh, or in, in point six five with a zero in front, not not one point zero point six five. So uh, she allowed two thirds of or under two thirds of a goal per game for an entire hockey season. Her save percentage for the season was nine seventy one. And Wait her winning percentage. Give me that it, number again. Um, save percentage nine seventy one. So, so she in stopped. excess of ninety seven percent of the pucks that came into her crease, she kept out of the net. And uh, her winning percentage uh, was a measly nine nine twelve ninety one percent of her starts she won. Um. And just one more time, what is this one uh, young lady's name? Erin Frankel. And she spells it very, very interesting way of spelling it. It's A-E-R-I-N. She was named Hockey East Player of the Year. She was also named Hockey East Goaltender of the Year. Well, if she wasn't, then what did the winner do? There's something wrong. (laughs) She helped the Huskies to their fourth straight league postseason tournament title. Yeah, a top team in the conference. She was named Hockey East Defensive Player of the Week twice. She was named Hockey's Goaltender of the Month. She was named Hockey East Player of the Week on four different occasions. Um, I know that she I is, joked about it. I know that I <clears throat> joked about it pre-show, but <laughs> is Buffalo paying attention? And I mean the Sabres. <laughs> yeah. Because they could use some goaltending. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, now the thing that's remarkable as far as the save percentage, it isn't the level of competition because Hockey hockey East uh, for women is as competitive as it is for men. Oh, absolutely. Most NHL goaltenders are, what, 6'2 or higher right now? You got guys around 6'7 who are struggling to put up 915, 9'18 save percentages? Yeah, I think guys like Saros, Saros and Halak are actually on the small side now at five. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> Do you know how tall Erin uh, is? That is the one thing I did not see in my dive, uh, my depth of. But that's what you do. So how how tall is this young lady? Five five. Wow. She's five five. She's six inches under NHL average. Filling the same size net, um, and just a hunch, just a hunch, since I have not met her, and they don't list her uh, actual weight anywhere, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that she's probably significantly like, oh, actually, her Team USA number lists her at 140 pounds. So that's what? 35 pounds lighter than Tukarask? Yeah, about that. <laughs> 60 pounds, almost 60 pounds lighter than some of the really big guys like, uh, um, oh gosh, the one who was who used to be in um, in Washington. And how big is Vasilevsky? He's decidedly not small. He's he's low sixes, six three, six four maybe. No, wait. 
Oh, I have no idea. I'd have to. I'd... Andre Vasilevsky is listed at 225. Okay. 63225. So, pure physics of covering the net when you're 6'3 and 225 versus 5'5 five and 140 pounds. Completely different. I mean, this is where fundamentals come into play. And I love to talk about fundamentals for like, you know, when fundamentals, focus, balance and uh, positioning. When Primo was at Northeastern and and I used to talk about how his fundamentals and his ability to go post to post, all those Mm -hmm. things are magnified when you're five, five. (laughs) You need to be able to get across that crease a lot quicker. (laughs) So congratulations to Aaron Frankel. I mean, top awards. I mean, this is fabulous. Congratulations to Northeastern. And to have two of the best goalies in the sport at the same school, wow. Somebody's doing it right over at Northeastern. (laughs) And, and, absolutely. I mean, you had you had Caden Primo. I'm pretty sure that Aaron Frankel is going to get drafted into the NWHL. Most right. likely going to be drafted. She's probably going to be kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> but it just wow. I mean, numbers like that. Yeah, you somebody needs to stand up and and take notice. Now, where do we go from there? Um, couple of, a couple of deals that happened, maybe, or we can talk deals. Uh, you've got the what you you uh, you grabbed one. Uh, go with that one next. Well, I grabbed this one just because it was the first big name deal that I've seen getting as we approach the trade deadline. Um, Buffalo has I don't know either signaled the start of the sell off or Montreal is paying attention whichever the case may be, but Montreal has acquired Eric Stahl from the Buffalo Sabers for wow not much a third and a fifth round pick and they managed to get the Sabers to retain fifty percent of his salary. million. As I said to you the other day, who is actually running the Canadians while wearing a Mark Bergevin suit? (laughs) Uh, I don't know, but it might, it might be the, uh, it might be the former um, general manager of the Rangers who swindled uh, the Habs uh, out of, um, a certain well-known defenseman for basically a guy who then went on to score 10 goals a year for Montreal. Uh-huh. Um, I realized that Eric Stahl is 36, but... Um, he's still an effective player. He's still top center. He's still one of the top centers in the league. His face-off percentage has come down and it's affected his overall career stats. He's now at 49, 49%. But we're talking about a guy who's going to bring stability, 200-foot game. He's maturity. going to be able to put maturity. He's going to be able to put pucks in the net. He's going to make his wingers around him that uh, just that much better. And 
I was about to say Claude Julian's going to love him, but they got rid of Claude, so. Uh, which, yeah, mistakes. Which is still high-level dumb. Yes. But I, at the end of the day, it always comes back to the cap, Bergevin said on Thursday. Once you're a team that's up against the cap, it's money in and money out. I, I just... And they dropped. Uh, they had to drop Paul Byron to the taxi squad to make room for him. I just, I, I'm amazed that they were able to get him away for so little. It, it, again, it, Buffalo is selling off so that they can rebuild. I mean, aren't they in, in a constant rebuilding mode in Buffalo? Buffalo is broken. We've discussed that for yes, I know ad nauseum. Three years, three years straight. Um, they've honestly become the new Edmonton. You know how Edmonton was stuck in that constant rebuild for like 12 years? Yes. Drafting high and doing nothing with it. But then Edmonton tripped and fell onto Connor McDavid. And Leon Dreisaitl. And and Leon Dreisaitl. They still haven't. See, my issues with Edmonton is they still haven't really fixed the defense. They've got a couple of good bandages there. They've got a couple of really good number threes and fours. I still don't see a number one or a number two there. If I'm if I'm under crediting Darnell Nurse, I apologize. We don't get to see him as much here. But when I say that someone is a good number three, and when I say that someone is a good number three, to me that's someone who is playing a solid twenty-one minutes a night whether they're an offensive or a defensive uh, leaning defenseman don't really care, mm-hmm. but that's what they're, that's what they're capable of. Whoever their coaches can put them on the ice for those 21, 22 minutes a night and not have to think about it. Um, and look, I, I, I've talked about Darnell nurse since his draft year and possibly the year before I really like him. Uh, Maybe it's just the general level of dysfunction on the team. I don't know, but it, it, it's nice that Ryan Nugent Hop- I mean, with that particular team, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is finally starting to look like the player they were expecting oh. half a decade ago. Half a decade ago, well, and probably a year or two too early into his career. But details, details. I mean. The issue there was that I, the drafting was was all wrong and. Well, he wasn't physically mature. As speaking purely of, of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he was not physically mature enough to be in the NHL in his first year in the league, and I again something I will go to my grave with. That's that's a hill I will die on all day. Mm-hmm. Um, just not he was not physically there. And I think that that set him back uh, a good two years because he didn't really he wasn't really healthy those first two seasons. And it really well that and he's no longer expected to be the guy. Um, so Nurse is pressure. Donnell Nurse is top five on that team in points. Yep. In 35 games, he has 11 goals and 15 assists. 
that's not too shabby. Uh, and, rumor and has he it averaged, that he is not terrible. He averages quite a few minutes a night, by the way. I want Let's to see. see him play uh, more often, and I'm going to have to make the effort. Um, but as much hockey as I watch, I can't watch every game. And let's see the last his last five games of time on ice. Um, 15th, March 15th, 30 minutes and 15 seconds. March 17th, got a little bit of a break. He only played 21 minutes and 41 seconds. Uh, Well, breaks over because on the 18th, he played another 28 minutes and change. Uh, The 20th of March, he played 26 minutes and change. And then on the 27th of March, he played 27 minutes. I know how many minutes he plays, but I still want to see him play uh, a little bit more. I want to be able I want to watch him play three or four games in a row uh, to get to get a better gauge. OK. Fair enough. I mean, I just I and the kid and, and, and I, I call him a kid, I, the young man. He's only 26 years old. Six four two twenty one would look great in a spoke B. Ooh, I let that slip. Um, yeah, just this is this is a young man who I think he can be relied relied upon. Um, is he a little too offensive? Maybe I think that that's a product of the team that he's on. Uh, he absolutely his offense is a product of the team he's on because. If you go back, uh, say three or four years, that was not—he was not that high on their scoring. Granted, they were also not scoring that much. Um, since we're talking about defensemen, mm-hmm. uh, this week's poll. Oh, actually, yeah. I guess we'll actually do uh, the other trade that happened this week, which I find equally amusing to. <laughs> uh-huh go ahead uh brendan lemieux was traded this week and correct me if i'm wrong but didn't this happen suspiciously soon after a stupid penalty um while playing uh, against boston It did seem a little bit coincidental. I'm not going to go out. I don't know if I want to go out on that limb and say that that was the reason. But, uh, yeah, it the trigger was kind of quick after that particular maneuver. And it, this is not Brendan Lemieux's first movement. Because in 2014, Mr. Lemieux was drafted... Uh, mm-hmm. First in the second round, number 31, by the Buffalo Sabres. As just noted, he was playing for the New York Rangers earlier this season um, and last season. And before that, he played for the Winnipeg Jets. So since his draft date, um, uh, mm-hmm. he was... Traded, uh, he was traded, let's see, February 11th of the next year um, with, let's see, traded from the Buffalo Sabres with Drew Stafford, Joel Armia, Tyler Myers, and a first-round pick in 2015 that turned into Jack Roslevic, 
to the Jets for Jason Cardoff, Evander Kane, and Zach Bogosian. And there's a whole bunch of people who are no longer with either of those teams. <laughs> I was going to say, Roslovic's not even he, – he's since been uh, – he's, he's now in Columbus, and they've got yeah. Pierre-Luc Dubois. So. Evander <sighs> Kane is out on the West Coast. Tyler Myers, I think, is out on the West Coast. Drew Stafford, Vancouver. I think, is retired. Uh, Bogosian, I forget where he is. Zach Bogosian. Uh, last time I saw him, he was wearing a lightning uniform. Um, so this is it now. And then after that, he was traded in 2019, traded from Winnipeg with the first round pick uh, that turned into Vinny Hanola uh, and a conditional fourth round pick uh, in that draft uh, for Harrison that turned into Harrison Blaisdell, uh, Blaisdell uh, to the Rangers for Kevin Hayes. And then on uh, March 27th of 2021, mm-hmm. so literally Friday. Yeah, uh, no, I'm no. He was traded Saturday. Wow. He was traded. Um, well, actually, March 21st was last Sunday. It was a week ago. The last show we did. It happened. And, uh, no, the trade. Uh, well, maybe the notes from <laughs> maybe the notes from Hockey DB are off a little bit, but. Okay. Um, so if, if it was March 21st, whatever, he was traded right at, he must've been traded around the show time. Uh, but so this is three trades. He He's in Los Angeles now. What did the Kings give up to get this talented young man? A fourth round draft pick. And you, just to refresh my memory, you said that he was originally drafted in the second round. He was drafted first in the second round in 2014. With the size of the league today, that would be a first-round pick. And they sent a fourth-rounder. I'm assuming it's in this year's draft. 2021 draft for Mr. Uh, Claude Lemieux's uh, younger self. I guess guess what I'm trying to figure out is what exactly – what role he's going to play on the Kings because they – they, yes, have, they, they have plenty of people who can take dumb, dumb penalties. That, well, that's my point. But the, the thing is, they are getting – that team is getting younger, faster. Uh, he was pretty fast. Uh, is he? I don't know. I, he's, I, he's at least league average. Uh, okay. He's not – I wouldn't put him in the top 30% or anything like that, but he's, about, he's at least league average. So he's not going to be an anchor on the team. Because you got, they've got the Adrian Kempes, they've got the Ayafalos. Um Anderson Dolan looks really good. Yes, do they still have the Dustin Browns and, and the Kopitars and, and the Jeff Carters? Yes. They've got a small mi- – and, and, and Drew Doughty on the defense. They've got a small mix of, of uh, older veterans. But I that mean, team is getting younger. And then they drafted – Quentin Byfield, which was, I think, a great pick for them, and, no, and they haven't Quentin had Byfield to rely on great him. Which and they haven't used. Well, it it would, the yeah, NHL he would have been a great pick on any team, but I, I think on I think in L.A. he's just he's gonna he's gonna be surrounded by young, fast goals going for. I, I think that he's I think he's going to flourish there. That's what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. But yes, um, I think he would be a great pick for any team that goes without saying. I mean, when you're second overall, everybody could certainly <laughs> find a find a way to get you <laughs> get you on their squad. 
And we'll talk about Quentin Byfield again in just a minute. But for the Rangers, I think part of this was about Brendan Lemieux being somewhat of a meathead. They seem but to there's be also – go ahead. No, I was just going to say – and that seems to be something, and I don't know if it's Dan Quinn. I don't know if it's, if it's Gorton. But they seem to be trying to eliminate the meatheads, for lack of a better way of putting it. Because uh, was it D'Angelo earlier in the season? D'Angelo was a well-known meathead. I mean, he's been dumbing it up uh, since he was like 12. Oh. I mean – So are they, you know, is this a, is this, is this an organization wide thing where they're trying to eliminate the trouble spots or potential trouble spots? I think that's part of it, but, okay. but I also think that this is low hanging fruit. Um, well, yeah, I did. I agree. Right I, now, right now, the New York Rangers are projected to get hit with a, uh, a, a cap penalty, a bonus cushion penalty of over $4 million, uh, according to cap friendly. So they are, but does anyone who makes an excuse bite into that? It's going to impact them next season. If, I mean, if the cap drops significantly next year, Uh right now, right now, the, uh, the Rangers have, let's see, what is their projected cap for next year? Uh, right now, they have 12 players signed for a projected 51 million, um, and okay. they they're going to need to move. They have three retained salary moves. Um, they have a couple of buyouts that are on the books. Um, we don't know if there's going to be another year of taxi squad stuff next year, which. We don't know how we don't know what the league is going to look like next year, but they're at this point. I think the Rangers are desperately making sure that they don't have to give up a Truba or a Kreider. Well, maybe not a Kreider, but it, that they don't have to give up Kruder, Kruger. I am Truba or Panarin uh, that they can hold on to Zibanejad uh, unless someone makes them a fantastic offer that they can re-sign uh, Buchnevich because he's due a contract at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got Philip Cheadle, you've got Julian Gauthier, you've got uh, Brett, Howden, uh, Brett Howden, and then you've got almost their entire defense is due a contract this year or next year. Um, Ke'Andre Miller or and Jacob Truber are the only people signed past the end of next season. Um, Ryan Lindgren... Yeah. I suspect oh. they're going to want to resign. Past next season, I was going to say because Adam Fox signed. Yeah, but Adam Fox next season is last year of his entry level. Um, which brings us right back around to this week's poll. Um, Adam Fox. Ah, yes. There was a tweet, a story claiming that uh, or stating that Adam Fox is a top candidate for the Norris trophy. And we talked about it in the closing minutes of last week's show. Well, in, in all fairness, there are stories floating around that a certain hall of fame defenseman in Boston is a candidate for the Norris trophy as well. If you looked at his highlight reel from yesterday, you could make that case. 
Um, and I probably wouldn't actually throw up. I actually um, yesterday actually I was not impressed with his. Uh, he seemed to be fast going forward, but there was one particular play where it was a two on one, and he could have easily gotten back to make it a two on two. And the strides were there, but the acceleration was not. He but back to Adam Fox. <laughs> so, the question was for this week's poll. Uh, I put it up last week after the show or during the show. Yeah. Should Adam Fox of the New York Rangers uh, be a Norris Trophy finalist uh, for best defenseman? Um, most of us know what the Norris Trophy is for, but I like to cover my bases. Um, four options no, not quite, yes. And yes, clearly a top three guy. In the league or on his team? <laughs> Generally speaking, the Norris is given league-wide, so it's quite heavily implied that that would be league-wide. Okay. So what? What? what is your uh, – what? which one of these do you think got the most votes? Um, I'm going to go with yes. Mm, that would not actually be correct, but it's also not wrong. Okay. Because it did tie with not quite. Ah, <laughs> but see that. And, and, and were I to vote in our own polls, I would have voted not quite. I, I, I like Adam Fox. I like him a lot. We get to see him here in New England. Uh, played at U. Uh, no, uh, Kale McCarr was UMass. Adam uh, Fox. I want to say he was. Was he Northeastern? No, Beast. I don't remember. I really don't remember. <laughs> he was. He was. He was here. He was definitely and, here. Harvard. Harvard. Thank you. Yes. Um. New back because actually one of the games we went to it was it was literally Kale McCarr versus Adam Fox. They were they played each other in one of the tournament games we went to. Uh, I want to say it was that Frozen Four up in New Hampshire, and you could tell that they were men among boys type of situation. They were both going to, going on to the next level. He, I just don't know that he's there yet. He's certainly progressing, especially this season. This season, uh, I think, is throwing a spanner into the Rangers' five-year plan or three-year plan. Yes. Because I agree they're, with that totally. <laughs> because Fox, Lindgren, um, they're definitely performing above projection for— That's, isn't, that their, isn't that their top pairing, Fox and Lindgren? Yeah. I wouldn't, Didn't they get one of those guys in a trade? Uh, I don't remember quite from where— Maybe if I ask uh, Jack Edwards, he can tell us. <laughs> By the way, neither one of them is past, what, 25 years old? Uh, yep. Uh, Adam Fox is 23 years old. Uh, and remember, he was a third round draft pick of the Calgary Flames. So there was clearly some swindling going on there, too. Uh, uh, yeah. And Ryan uh, Lindgren wow. is... Wait a the, also, this is, 23. this is hilarious. Go ahead. June 23rd, 
2018. He was traded from Calgary with Dougal- Dougie Hamilton, Michael Furland, uh, to Carolina for Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm. Mm-hmm. 2019, April, thir- uh, April 30th, 2019, traded from Carolina Hurricanes to New York Rangers for conditional second round pick that turned into Mag Sogard uh, and a conditional second uh, around two pick in the 2020 draft that turned into Noel Gunner or Noel Gunler. So there's two teams who either didn't know what they were looking at or just assumed that because he played for Harvard that he had peaked and that was it. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. wow. In a big way. And that's I mean, after having been passed over for two full rounds in his draft year. Ryan Lindgren was a second round pick by Boston, as we know. He's also 23 years old. Uh, hello. Your top pairing defense in on the Rangers is a pair of 23 years. play 15 years <laughs> together in that city. 15 uh, years. Yeah. That's and and they and they and they two different style. I mean, Adam Fox clearly more offensive minded than Ryan Lindgren. Ryan Lindgren, Ryan Lindgren, my apologies, has only nine assists this year. He has not scored a goal yet. He's a plus eight. He's got twenty seven penalty minutes. But he's in the right place just about but all the time. He is defensively sound. Agreed. I mean, he's. I mean, how many times do have we heard in the Bruins games or other games against the Rangers, you know, a Russia starting up ice and Ryan Lindgren is in the way. Ryan Lindgren, Lindgren breaks it up. Of all of the players traded for uh, that ridiculous um, Rick Nash trade. Yes, he's the one that hurts all the of them. All of them. He, he he's absolutely the, the one that hurts the most. And Adam Fox this year has 27 points. He's got three goals, 24 assists. Uh, he's a plus nine. So they're both in positive territory. Combined, mm-hmm. they have 36 points. Uh, and to, between the two of them, they have a full 200 NHL games. That's it. 200. <laughs> yeah, Lindgren has played 98 and Fox has played 102. Yeah, the Rangers play their cards right. They can have a a nice top pair for the next decade easily. And to go what? with that, they also have six full games of any of, of postseason experience. Where surprisingly, uh, Fox has. I mean, Lindgren has the. Uh, points edge. Yes. <laughs> and they're ne- and neither one of them is all that big a guy. Um, Fox is listed as 5'11", 181. And uh, Lindgren, 6 feet, 191. And if penalties are any indication, Lindgren is the more physical of the two. Uh, seems likely. I just it's 
nice nice job by Mr. Gorton there, nailing himself a couple. And it, those aren't the only two young defensemen he's got. I mean, no, uh, you've got K. Andre Miller in the same K. system. K. Andre Miller looks pretty damn good. First round, first round pick, yeah. And he's got eight points in thirty games, yeah. uh, including a nice goal the other day. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that one. That was highly enjoyable. All right, where and, are we going from here? Because we're starting to we're starting to drift into into different waters. So, so as we mentioned earlier, uh, when we opened the show, something happened just last week that was for the first time. It was the first time it had happened since 1941. 1941, for those of you paying attention, was, I believe, uh, the same year that the U.S. entered World War II. For most of us, that me for most of our listeners, that probably means the grandparents or great-grandparents were young adults at that time. Um, so, 1941 was the last time an entire line anywhere in professional hockey was made up of all black players. Black aces. Black aces line. Um, this year, uh, just last week, and uh, Bar Down Hockey talked about Devante Smith-Pelly, Akil Thomas, Quinton Byfield. All playing together on the Ontario Reign. I was wondering um, what happened. Actually, I was wondering what happened to Devonte Smith Pelly. I mean, he's a guy who was won a Stanley Cup, instrumental with Washington in winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and had, had a couple of key goals in that playoff run, and more than a couple, but a couple of game winners, I should have said. Eighty years, eighty years <laughs> since that's happened. And it's it's a little it's I mean, it's a little bit shocking that no team has had that many. On the other hand, I I'd be hard pressed to name 12 black players in the NHL at this point. Is that because of. And uh, some of that is. Is that discouragement? Is that Some marketing? Of it is bad marketing. Great. Okay, yeah, that's it. Um, and bad grass le- uh, grassroots level um, hockey programs. Which is what guys like Willie O'Ree, who you know, he he the foundation and all the camps that he runs, everything that he does is to bring the sport of hockey to everyone, to everybody, and. The ambassador of the game, without a doubt, but they need to do more. I genuinely think that one of the best things that uh, the league could do um, is look at cities, look at states where there are a lot more black people than average and put their AHL affiliates there and their and maybe their ECHL affiliates there. Because 
the ability to go to an inexpensive game and have three, four hours of entertainment for a family, um, regardless of, I mean, we went to the ECHL game uh, in Worcester before, what, a week before lockdown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty close. It was late, late February, so it was a week or two, yeah. And we went to, we've been to a couple of, uh, a couple of AHL games and college Pro- games. Providence games, but a lot of, car- a lot of college. Providence games, uh, Providence Bruins and the ECHL, they are a lot more accessible for families, both in terms of pure cost. Uh, it's accessible to not just people who make, you know, six figure or where both parents make six figures, but even if the kids don't enjoy it or being disruptive and you have to leave early because the kids lost patience, if you spent 10 bucks on your tickets or you got your tickets free with, with uh, refreshments purchases, as is the promotion someplace, you don't care as much. And the You're thing is to that try the, it again. the in-game entertainment seems to be, uh, you know, during timeouts and during, Oh, it's way more aggressive. It's, absolutely more aggressive at at the lower levels it, but it's more it, it it's it seems to be more oriented towards keeping children that it, in providence for example with the the i can't believe i'm going to actually mention this on the show with the the whole pop siku thing i did it <laughs> i mentioned it i didn't think it was ever going to happen but it's honestly his favorite video. He tweet he he texts no, it to me not. like three times a year. This is why I haven't been back to a Providence game since. He don't I'm don't scarred. let him convince you. He listens to this like scarred whenever he's having a bad day. Um, Popsiku, yes. His uh, brother but, actually sent me a video of him watching it and doing the popsicle dance. It's true. I mean, would I bring it? Would I bring a young child to an ECHL game? I would have up until the third period when the fans' bloodlust started to come through. Uh, but again, it was still it still seemed to be more oriented towards younger younger audience. Oh, it it absolutely is. Um, so yes. Uh, it, and Popsicle is a dance along, infectiously obnoxious saccharine, yes, uh, song that I will actually tweet now because Chris loves it, uh, but he doesn't want to admit it. Um, and y'all can judge for yourself how Chris looks doing the Popsicle dance. Um, I did promise not to share the video, so I won't be tweeting that of him doing it. I appreciate that. Thanks. Since there isn't actually a video. That's what you think. <laughs> uh, Quentin Byerfield put the rain on the board first with a breakaway goal in the first period, by the way. Yeah. As we said, he's probably uh, a decidedly non-terrible pick for uh, anyone. <sighs> yeah. And I like how L.A. is doing the smart thing. I mean, Quentin Byfield is a physically more robust uh, young man than a lot of uh, than than like Ryan well, the thing is, Hopkins. The thing is, at the beginning of the season, the Kings were not 
good or anything like it. That, that's a nice way of putting it. And the at any point in time, they could have brought Byfield up. The thing that – and part of the thing that that, that is – keeping them from doing it or not keeping them from doing it, but not forcing their hand is the fact that there aren't fans in the stands. If they were struggling like they were and there were fans in the stands, they might be more inclined to bring him up to satiate the fans uh, desire for winning and performing. But then they seem to turn it around and they've got Cal Peterson in net and, the younger kids are starting to play. Athanasiu looks really good. Uh, like I said, Anderson, Jared Anderson, Dolan, the, Tobias Bornfjot, and he keeps taxi squatting back and forth. But he looks really. They've got a lot of good young players. They haven't needed to bring him up, so they can bring him along slowly. They can start him next season. Have him get a. a whatever you want to call this season in the AHL, a half season or, or whatever, have them get used to the speed. And, and even the AHL players will tell you it doesn't have the speed of the NHL, but it's closer than anything else. Yes. So and there's also, there's also the physicality. I mean, Quentin Byfield at six, four and two fifteen was a really big guy in junior hockey. He's going to be in the in the NHL. He's slightly bigger. He's slightly heavier than average. Yeah, a little bit taller, slightly heavier than average. And the that's guys it. he was the guys he was throwing around before. Now he may be bouncing off of, or he may only be slightly moving them. And that allowing that adjustment to happen with, quite frankly, lower stakes for the team. Uh, that one uh, that one gets thumbs up. Um, I, and I have no problem with, I have no issues with the other thing is the other part of why I like how the Kings are doing this. Most guys who have played in the AHL are thankful that they got to play professional hockey, but they hit the NHL and they literally Mm -hmm. never want to get on the bus again. They never want to see the AHL. They never want to go back to an AHL arena. Because it's not who they it's not who they want to be, and a full season, even if it's a short season of that, before he gets, let's let's face it, the there is a in excess of ninety percent chance of him making the team this fall, as long as he shows up in shape and tries. Um, and the the chances that he is going to be best motivated. And best grounded this fall, uh, having already been through an AHL and a professional season, um, it, it, this is this is the in my opinion the right way to do it. Can some players jump to the league immediately? Yes. Do I think it's the best idea all the time? But Usually look not. At, but look at number one overall, the, the the kid who went ahead of him, Alex Lafreniere for the New York Rangers, or Captain Paco last year, or. or Cap- not or exactly lighting it up. Look, I, the the guys who have been taken the last two or three, four years, even Jack number Hughes, one, yeah. with possibly with the exception of Jack Hughes. No, he, um, I don't. Did he really light it up his rookie year? Uh, he was right up there. Uh, I let me just go up. 
Well, I, he didn't again, win I Rookie of the Year because it was because Kale he was McCarr, but, Well, Jack Kale Hughes McCarr was forward. pre-selected. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I was thinking of Quinn Hughes. But let's, I mean, if we look at uh, 2016 draft, uh, Austin Matthews, uh, Patrick Line, okay, that that was a reasonable first round. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than reasonable. But let's take it to 2017 first round. Nico Heischer, lots of injuries. Uh, and, or, and the guy and the guy taken second uh, by Nolan Philly. Patrick, Nolan uh, Patrick. He missed most of a season. Um, he, he he struggles with migraines, and I can I can attest that those are yeah, unfun. Unfun. I think you can attest to that too. Oh yes, yes. Uh, even Elias Patterson, he's had injury history, and he was effectively tossed in uh, in the deep end from the word go. Different mm-hmm. situation with a lot of younger players on the, the team that year. Um, he was the rookie of the year, but he's had mm, uh, he's still been banged up a couple of times. Mm. And but just looking at number one and number two, so Jack Hughes and Capocaco. Capocaco still really hasn't figured it out. He this season he's got twenty six games. He's got six points. No. Jack Hughes has actually figured out he's having a decent sophomore season. Or, yeah, this is his second season, junior season, third season, second season. Whatever. Why can't I even remember? Anyway, so last year we've got Lafreniere and Quentin Byfield. Well, Quentin Byfield, learning the ropes and and getting acclimated in 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 the AHL. Lafreniere, in the meantime, has amassed in 33 games. A whopping nine points. Yeah. I mean, he's first overall. I don't want to put expectations on anyone, but if you're going to be drafted first overall, there's got to be that extra something. And haven't seen it the last couple of years from the top picks. Jack, it, they need to figure it out. Jack Hughes now figuring it out is actually starting to look a lot better. So. Uh, uh- I mean, Jack Hughes, again, physically not large. Um, He's currently listed at 5'11 and 176 pounds, which is a whole bunch of not very much. Um, Mm -hmm. Is he he very, very highly skilled? Absolutely. Oh, I'm not taking anything away from the talent level. I'm just saying that you're you're stepping up to a league where – it's not like anything you've played before. No. Uh, but the expectations we put on them are ridiculous. So leaving a Quentin Byfield in the AHL is a fabulous idea. You and I agree on that. Absolutely. Um, let's see. We have actually covered most of what we had on the board. Oh, um, we covered stall. We covered something that, I didn't see a general announcement on, mm-hmm. but which I find curious and uh, okay, highly curious and makes me wonder. I was looking at uh, Sports Club stats, as most of you are familiar with the show know, that's a site that uh, calculates the uh, playoff odds for any given team. 
Um, and while the odds shift almost hourly, uh, hourly. one interesting thing, I, well, during games, yes, or during okay. gameplay, sure. Um, I noticed that they had conference A and conference B for the two playoff for, uh, rounds this year. And conference A is going to be the East and the West. So whoever of, you know, the Islanders, Washington, Pittsburgh, Boston on that side, and then Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota, and oh my, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, St. Louis emerges from the West are going to meet for one conference final. Okay. And then the Central and the North. So is there it, are three decent te- there are three solid teams in the central. Mm-hmm. Do you really, 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 really think Florida has the defense to stop Toronto, Winnipeg or Toronto or Edmonton cold uh, in a seven game series? Do you Toronto? think that, do you think that Florida, Florida? Yeah. Okay can beat Toronto or Edmonton in a seven game series going up against that, those stacked forward cores. Uh, I'm still not so. sold. I'm not sold on Florida. I, I, no. I know they've had a hell of a season, but now they're down in third. Carolina's starting to rise. Carolina's rising to the top. I mean, they're one okay. point behind the lightning. I okay. think Florida has ridden that way. I think Florida has ridden that wave. Ridden? Yes. Okay. Does Carolina have the offense to keep up with Toronto or Edmonton? Potentially, sure. Martin just continues playing the with at the pace that he's at. You got Svechnikov, you got Aho, you got. Uh, would you I don't bet, know the. Would you Would you bet on them to win a seven game series? against either of those two teams. Yes, because I, I like Carolina's defense. I like, I'll, thank you. I like Carolina's defense a lot better. Yeah. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure I would really. I, I'm, I'm really not a hundred percent sure. And Carolina's a that, plus 28. Yeah. That is they not are, a lie. They, they have 112 goals scored. And we're comparing them to who? Toronto, who only has 114. But they are plus 26. Yep. And who else are we comparing them to? Edmonton? Yes. Who has 119 goals, but they're only a plus 18. Edmonton's goaltending is not... Uh, it's not good. Well, no, Mike Smith is actually having a decent season if you look at his numbers. But they insist but on playing Koskinen more. I don't know here's why. Here's the thing. Toronto is only allowed 88 goals. 88. Which is surprising to me, actually. It's nearly stunning. Carolina is allowed 84. So those defenses, whether we like – that defense, whether we like it or not, is pretty comparable. Now – 
in this season, the divisions make a whole lot of difference. And we know that Nashville doesn't really have an offense and Detroit might as well not exist. And Dallas has been uh, <clears throat> offensively struggling. Uh-huh. And no one, I mean, even, even the Ottawa senators who we are quite clear are rebuilding and the Calgary Flames <laughs> and yet are, still look good doing it. Uh, most still they're, look good they're doing pretty it. much in every they're pretty much in every game until well. Uh. It, those two those two teams, uh, the Calgary Flames and the uh, Ottawa Senators, have scored more goals than anyone outside the top four in the Central Division. I think this might actually be the NHL trying to gift a Stanley cup final appearance to Canada. Now me personally, if I were going to set it up that way, I'd have put them up up against the West to guarantee them a seat. But I think that this is uh, probably the most, the second most favorable matchup uh, for, for uh, whoever comes out of Canada. Or likely someone is going to have to travel to Canada. And if someone's if they're going to do the final up in Canada and not have travel back and forth between the arenas, this is even more favorable for uh, the North Division because Tampa, Carolina, Florida, and assuming they make it in, which seems unlikely at this point, Nashville, all four of those are warm weather teams. You're going to have guys attempting to adjust to really or to much cooler weather in Edmonton or Toronto or I guess theoretically are they be, Vancouver. Are they picking bubble spots for the playoffs again this year? Or are I they actually going to be traveling to I, whole, I hope not, but I I think it's gonna depend on what numbers uh what numbers look like for, you know, vaccinations and mm-hmm. outbreak level. I mean conspiracy theorists abound. I don't want to believe this one. I want to believe that it was purely just, you know, for competition's sake. But uh, it, sometimes when the evidence is overwhelming, uh, or you use the phrase, use the the colloquialism, if it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it it could be. I mean, Canada hasn't been relevant in the playoffs in. 20 years. Yeah. They haven't the won a cup will, in 30 years. I think it, I think it was 30 years. Canadians won the last cup. 93, I believe. Yeah. So, um, so 28 years. Now. So most of the NHL was not alive the last time the, that a Canadian based team won the Stanley cup. Hoisted Lord Stanley. Yeah. Possibly only Zdeno Chara and Ryan Miller actually remember the last time <laughs> a a uh, a Canadian born a Canadian based team won a Stanley Cup. Because uh, yeah. uh, maybe Joe Thornton, maybe. I would say Joe Thornton's got to be up there, yeah. And I guess you'd have to put Patrick Marleau there, but if there are actually 10 current players who have played this year in the league, mm-hmm. I 
don't know who at least six of them are. <laughs> Um, and, uh, okay. Well, Eric Stahl is 36. Um, so he Which, would have been what? Five. Yes. Uh, I would put that five, as low old. probability. Five, six years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. The league's official it's, stats. It's uh, been a while. Oldest. Yeah. It has been a while. Um, the oldest players in the league is Adeno Chara, Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlu, Andy yeah. Green, Miku oh, Koivu, Andy Jake. Green, but even, even, let's see, Miku Koivu was born in 83. Um, so he would have been like 10. Yes. Um, Spezza, Duncan Keith, Giordano. I didn't realize Giordano was that actually that old. Um, I mean, I knew he was not young, but he's he was 83. Around. Yeah, he's been around many years. Has Valtteri Fubula actually played in the league this year? Uh, he's back with – I thought he was back with the Red Wings, yeah. He was, um, playing, earlier. He was playing earlier in the season, I'm pretty sure. You're going to make mean, me David, look that one up. But. Okay, so there's, there's a few players who probably remember, but – it's still not a high number by any stretch. No, when you consider that there's 831 skaters who have played in the league this season, and it's a short season, um, and not over yet, um, and then how many goaltenders rounded up to 75, maybe 80? Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking of 900 players, 86 player, 86 goaltenders have played in the league already this year. Amazing. Uh, not a huge number. We are running fairly close to time. Um, oh, I have to. I, I I know that we don't talk politics on this show, and and oh, but we do go, talk hockey, and we incorporate go for everything. It real quick. We incorporate everything. I know that, you know, we try to avoid talking politics, but in this particular case, we actually have to talk about both because you and I both talk about a certain former Bruin, Mr. Brandon Bochensky, and we were talking about his numbers last night and how he actually has played more games in the KHL than he has in the NHL and his stats uh, would almost get him a look-see for the whatever Hall of Fame they have for the KHL. But you and I both missed it last June, and granted it was the height of the pause, but last June our very own Brandon Bochensky, who has since retired from the KHL, was elected the mayor of Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I, I don't, I don't know how anything that happens in Grand Forks, North Dakota, is not national news. But it, it happened. Okay, and I get what you're saying, but my point is that we want follow hockey. At some point, how did we not catch that this guy did get? Apparently, he went to school, business degree, uh, a degree in business economics. He's a, a real estate developer. He owns a construction company, both of which are named after. The KHL, the league that he played in, and 
named after the team that he played on, Barasistana. Uh, I was looking up interesting numbers for him, and apparently when he won, he unseated a 20-year incumbent. He won 18 of the 19 voting districts in the town. (laughs) A a town of 56,500 as of 2019. But my point is that Either clearly they didn't like the incumbent, but why was if they didn't like him, why was the incumbent for 20 years? Because or politics. Did they really like Brandon better? <laughs> hey, Brandon was, is an NHL guy, and that that gets you some mileage. Everyone knew who he was. So we 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 apologize to Brandon for not noticing earlier but congratulations on your mayoral victory and last week he actually gave his first state of the city address so yay on to bigger um, and better things but i had to bring it up because we talk about Brandon all the time between the two of us not on the show but um really 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 quickly before we run out of time um Sports Illustrated uh, and in their hockey column put out a 10 goalies who could be traded um, a 10 goalies who could be traded uh, column by Matt Larkin on the 22nd. Mm-hmm. Um, going to run through the names really, really quickly. Um, just give me the two that you think that are most likely to be traded. Um, so we have, we're going to start at the top, Jonathan Bernier, Red Wings, UFA, uh, at the end of 2021. We have Chris Dreider, uh, Florida Panthers, UFA at the end of 2021. We have Devin Dubnik, uh, UFA at the end of 2021. Anton Hudobin, um, 3.3 million average annual value, 2020, uh, through the end of the 2022-2023 season. Um, Jonas Corposalo, Columbus Blue Jackets, 2.8 million AAV through the end of the 21-22 season. Uh, Darcy Kemper, um, uh, 4.5 million through the end of the 21-22 season. Elvis Merzlikens, 4, uh, 4 million even through the end of the 21-22 season. Ryan Miller, UFA at the end of the year. Jonathan Quick, uh, 5.8 million AAV uh, through the end of the 2022-23 season. Anti-Ranta, UFA, end of the 2021 season. Go. Uh, The two that I think are most likely to be dealt? Uh, Dare I say, I can start with with one, but go ahead. Dare I say, um, I think one of them... Will be, uh, I think one of them will be Jonathan Quick. That's going to end an era and going to be hard to move. But given the number of UFA goalies, some of whom are seriously underperforming, someone might want a great mentor for a young goaltender. And I think that that's, there's definitely worse choices. If that's the case, I mean, I wanted to say guys like I wanted to say guys like Corpusallo, but I don't think he, I don't think Columbus is going to move either Corpusallo or Merzlikens until they can figure out which one is the number one, because yep. they take turns out playing each other. Yep, it, and, and they're good at it. 
Right. So I don't think and even Anhun- they're even they're less than the less good than the other guy stretch really aren't terrible. It's like I mean, it's not like they fall into a hole and have four games with a 700 save percentage in a row. They just closer to average. Number one for me, the guy I think that several teams are going to pursue and should probably be able to get because of the situation with his team. Yeah. Anton Hudobin. I mean, 3.3 for a cap hit for what he's done for the last two, three years. I don't Grab think they're him. dealing. That's why, that's why they signed him. The team is terrible, though. He, the team is terrible. They can't they score, trade. and they're not defending well. And he's still playing probably better than they deserve. Go ahead with your number two. Uh, and I, I say this one with all love and affection because he was really good. And then, I don't know, there was a clip. And I don't know if there was uh, Devin Dubnik. I, I can I, see you, that. You've got two, you've got two number ones. In, in, in Jones and Dubnik. Dubnik, I can't imagine, is thrilled with backing up Martin Jones, but yet Peter DeBoer will not play him ahead of Jones. Now, granted, this it, it, this season makes it very difficult to assess because there are a lot of teams that are literally playing goaltenders every other game. The Kings have been doing it for the last Monthish, where they're literally every other start. It doesn't matter what's going on. They've been playing swapping goalies. It makes it difficult to figure out. But you've got Dubnik and Jones, and I they like Jones better, which may or may not be justifiable. I think that Dubnik becomes a moving piece. That's fair if you can find someone to take him. One of the other um, issues is a lot of the guys on this list are approaching that magic 35 number. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Miller is well past that 35 number, but I don't expect him to be traded unless it's somewhere. I don't think he's going anywhere with Gibson being hurt. I think the only place he could be traded is L.A. Like, realistically, um, if if you're right and Jonathan Quick is moved, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see them grab Miller because uh, Miller's wife is an actress, and that's why he wanted to play on the West Coast do you, uh, anyways. Do you, do you swap quick for Miller? Cap-wise, it works. It works really well because <laughs> you're going to pay Miller one or two million a year, and that means you're freeing up three-plus to put uh, to put other guys on the ice. But then quick gets to be number one until, until – Till Gibson comes back, and I don't know how long he's supposed to be out for, but Quick gets to be number one. Ryan Miller gets to back up Cal Peterson, who and and yet Cal will still have that valued mentorship with a veteran goaltender in sure. Ryan Miller, who I think that Ryan Miller's goaltending style is more like Cal Peterson's than Jonathan Quick's style. Jonathan Quick tends to be somewhere closer to the Tim Thomas uh, yes. range. Ryan Miller Cal is Peterson, much closer. To, 
Go ahead. Cal Peterson, I was going to say Cal Peterson is closer to Ryan Miller with the they're more stand up, uh, you know, butterfly or high butterfly. They're not flopping all over the place. Yes. Unless it's absolutely necessary, last resort type of thing. And I think the I think the Florida Panthers likely cash out on Chris Dreider and try and load up with a veteran who has won a cup in order to go deep into the playoffs. I think they want to hang on. See, I think they want to hang on to Drieger, but they paid what's his, they paid what's There's, his name? They paid Bobrovsky so much damn money <laughs> that they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. I mean, they've got five more five more seasons at ten million for him. Oh goodness! And <laughs> and and the Canadians are in the same boat. How many years left on on? Forever. Yeah. Forever. Notice notice Carey Price isn't on this list because there's no way Montreal deals him ever. Even if he were no. The I don't think the sad thing is is that I think even as badly as he has played for most of this contract, I think if he were traded, half of Montreal fans would be really upset. Yes. That's why that's why he's never going anywhere. <laughs> Through the end of the 25-26 season is when Carey Price's 10 and cha- 10 and a half million is on the books. You may see him traded at the trade deadline of the 25-26 season. Maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. And then he probably won't report to whatever the new team is. Exactly. <laughs> Price, so, a milestone achievement, just passed 700 games uh, two, th- two games ago. Uh, congratulations, congratulations to him. And ladies and gentlemen, this is where we leave you. Uh, t- let us know what you think about uh, this week's show, last week's show, who's being moved at the trade deadline. I'm at Puck Sage. I'm at the off wing. And we are at the limit of our time. Thank you for listening. Have a great week, and we'll be back soon. Catch us on Twitter and tell us what you like.